Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Vorst, and I'm one of the pastors at Life Church. Thank you for listening. Today is another episode of Table Talk Thursday. Normally, we discuss questions that you have and try to get to a handful of different questions, but these last few weeks have really brought about a much lengthier conversation about race in America, as well as in the church. Last week, someone had posted a question about protests and asked our thoughts on them. And she's speaking about the protests that have taken place literally around the world in response to George Floyd's tragic death. So we do answer one other question toward the end, but a majority of our conversation will be pastors Nathan, Daniel, and myself discussing our thoughts on the protests. Before we get started, I can't encourage you enough to subscribe to this podcast, but also go ahead and share it with others if you think it might be meaningful to somebody who you know. It may have an impact on somebody else and be an encouragement to them. And lastly, if you'd like to contribute to this ongoing effort and the much more holistic work of Life Church, please visit our website at lifechurchganton.org/give. So without further ado, here is Table Talk Thursday. Well, welcome everybody to Table Talk Thursdays. Uh, happy to be here with you. Uh, slightly modified medium that we're on, uh, but super thankful that we're still able to connect anyway. Well, as usual, um, this is the venue and medium by which we do our best to have a dialogue about your questions, questions about the most recent sermon, any questions about life. Uh, all questions are due in by Thursday, uh, Tuesday evening. And if you uh, missed that mark, we will put it on cue for the next show. All live questions will be answered as time permits. Also want to remember, remind us rather to pray for our nation, our world, pray for uh, those who lost loved ones and employment during the season, the at-risk populations, those who are on the front lines, the healthcare professionals and all essential workers, uh, elderly people, and those who have pre-existing conditions. Also keep those people in Midland and the surrounding areas still in your prayers as they continue to try to recover what's been lost and move on with life. We also want to keep the Ahmaud Aubrey family in our prayers, Manuel Lewis, uh, Manuel Ellis family, Douglas C. Lewis family, Brianna Taylor, Sean Reed, Maurice Gordon, George Floyd, and there's a few more names now, David McAtee, James Skerlick, Sean Monterosa, Giovanni Lopez Ramirez, Dion Johnson, Justin Howell, and many others who have suffered um, from injustices. Uh, that name is growing. That name list is growing just in the last 30 days, folks. So do keep those people in your family in your prayers. Also, a great opportunity for you to learn and grow, especially geared towards my white brothers and sisters, uh, Lori Garvey and Lindsay Hufford. We'll be putting together a six-week book study on the color of compromise, and that'll be starting on June 25th, uh, Thursday, June 25th at 7 p.m. It'll be six weeks. For more information, you can reach out to uh, the Be the Bridge at Be the Bridge at LifeChurchCanton.org. We will put that on our Facebook as well as the YouTube, just so you can have that. But that will be Be the Bridge at lifechurchcanton.org. Uh, and do continue to reach out to each other. My heart is just warmed by the cards and the memos and the texts and whatever it is that we're doing to love and care for each other in this unique season. So do continue to do that. 
Well, let's check in with the pastors. How are you brothers doing? I'm doing okay. I'm trying to get um, uh, all of our links up to date because I know people are having to adjust here a little bit. Um, but our family as well. It's a beautiful day outside. Um, and so excited to, to get outside with the family a little bit. Um, but still very much, you know, heavy hearts given the, the state of our, our nation, the state of our church. And, um, and I mean that church, Big C, the global church, and how we continue to be refined um, by the spirit and uh, to move forward as people and toward unity. And so um, it's, it's bittersweet, um, but I'm excited for where we, Life Church, are at and where we're moving, um, given the nature of all the things that you just mentioned, Daniel. So um, overall, doing, doing well. Excited to get back together again, uh, hopefully soon. Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's nice when the sun's out right? It's, it's nice to be able to get outside and, and move around. I feel like I talk about the weather all the time because it's all we talk about in Michigan, how bad it is and how soon it'll be better and then how nice it is for the 14 days of beautiful weather that we have. <laughs> so, you know, it's been um, challenging because I think we're getting back into, okay, change, 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 and then eight weeks of normalcy-ish and then change, change, change. And so I feel like we're ramping back up, which is exciting for me. Uh, I'm really feeling the pain of not being together um, in person and starting to see things more and more open. I'm just really focused on Sunday night, um, the opportunity to pray together. So I feel like we have so much to pray for, but it'll be so good for us to see each other. Yeah, I I can't, I I can't say that, um, as a as an introvert, um, I have uh, I have the tendency to want to be by myself and all that good stuff. But I have missed family and community and church folks and all those beautiful faces that I now only see through the screen. I'm looking forward to see in person. Well, we are moving on into our questions. Our first question on the tap, and we'll take this in alphabetical order, reverse alphabetical order. <laughs> Well, I don't know, but we'll take it in some order. Uh, is, the first question is, what is your take on the recent protest uh, and the surrounding events and discussions? Any takers? That's you, Nathan. The N comes before J if we're in reverse order. If I'm yeah, I didn't understand at all what he was talking about. I <laughs> he just made it really I confusing. It. <laughs> I said it and I didn't understand it either. The question, as I understand it, is like, what, what do you take of like the protests that we're in, that the season we're in, in regards to justice? Is that, yeah. is that where you're yeah, at? That's, yeah, but in specifically even around the protests and some of the dialogue around that. Um, yeah. Just, you know, yeah. Just yeah, your, I think. Your holy, godly, biblical, absolute, <laughs> 100%, purely divine Wow. Answer. Okay. Um, so, so for me, we would had some chance to do a lot of reading around it. And I think this is really a, an important and sensitive topic. And uh, um, I, I could go on and on and on and on. But I, I think one of the things that you are always telling us too is that we can learn to resort, research for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I've done a lot of research on kind of the protests, um, the riots, um, the difference, and what our role is as Christians and even um, Black Lives Matter, the movement as a whole, and what our role is as well in that. 
And it's a nuanced conversation and it's one that you need to be informed on. Uh, I'm going to throw some links up. I'm not going to hit everything um, that I would love to say because it probably would take most of the time. Um, but I, I think I'm going to start off by just challenging everybody um, to read, to read and listen. And, and uh, I believe that Christianity Today, the exchange is putting out some amazing articles that are theologically rich, but also um, practical that call for action. And specifically, um, D.A. Horton's um, four-part series on the Black Lives Movement and what Christians need to know and how we can be a part of it. I think it's balanced and kind of beautiful and um, comes to some really practical steps as well as Ed Stetzer has been writing um, a bunch of articles on it. And one of them um, that I started with was called, uh, and it's beautiful, and, it, and it's part of a series, and, and so it's not just standalone, but it's uh, pro-all life and why I protest and encourage you to do so too. And I, I was like, oh, that is, a, that is an article title for the ages. And um, I, I'd encourage you to, to jump into that and read it. It's really, really good. And, and uh, he just starts off with this uh, historical understanding of, of protests. And most of us consider ourselves Protestants. We're Protestants. So protestants. We're protestants. Like Martin Luther protested the abuses of the Catholic Church uh, in his theses. And he was told to stop but then he went and not only told to stop, but given written documentation, you need to stop. So he burned it in protest. And now I'm not condoning burning anything. That's not what I'm saying in this. I'm saying that from the very beginning of what led to where we're at now theologically was uh, as, as people who have come from that reform, reforming movement is this idea that we protest. We protest against things. And, and he does such a great job, an invitational job of, of going through it. I think when I talk about articles and I read articles, immediately someone had just had an emotional reaction to it. By me saying pro all life, there's so much going on in those three words that could bring so much emotion up. And then saying why I protest and why you should as well. Like these things, you may never get past the first tagline. Because we've had all these dialogues going on and all of these ways of thinking about things that get in the way. So I, I just encourage everybody to read that article and let that be a place to start um, your conversation about it. Um, I, I could go on and on, but personally, as I'm looking at it, um, I'm thinking about the nuances of it and primarily how to continue to open up conversations uh, about the protests, about um, not, not primarily about the riots, because for me, um, for me, you can be against racism and against riots. Like for some reason we feel like if, if, if we, I, I see a lot of Christians who, who go, okay, protest, but let's talk about the riots. Let's talk about the riots. In fact, a lot of the news stations just want to talk about the riots. And, and, and in some ways I feel like when we focus on, um, people rioting and looting and burning, what we do is we, we say, see, this is what happens if we actually try to change something. This is why we don't do this. This is why we don't have a discussion. They're the same thing. They're not the same things. Not at all. In fact, I, I love watching the, you know, some of these videos aren't actually like appropriate for us to say the words that are said in it. But you, you're seeing pro peaceful protesters who are, are call, people, uh, peaceful protesters who are black calling out people who are spraying um, stuff on and saying, what are you doing? Stop this. Please stop. Please stop. This is not what this is about. And I can go on and on. But what I've just done in the last 
two, three minutes of me talking has triggered everyone. Mm. And that's the hard part about this is like, I feel like when people start to speak truth, there's such a buildup of um, preconceived notions and uh, formulaic, it's a little throw out to Sunday. So, you know, a little formulaic rhetorical or rhetoric responses that are already put in your mind that you've already been trained to do this, to say, oh, but yeah, what? And instead we aren't actually learning. And so I, I think for me, as I look at it, um, I, I'm, I'm thinking primarily, oh man, how do we continue to keep this a civil discu- um, um, conversation about what's going on? Because I believe that, uh, I, think, I think that our nation is finally starting to wake up and had an example that was just so bad. Because nobody I talked to says that this wasn't a murder, right? I've not talked to one person who doesn't say that this is murder. Now, what they say after that matters. But now we have a video example of something that's been happening. So now we can't ignore it anymore. And so the protests that have continued, the peaceful protests that have continued day after day after day after day, I think are creating an awareness to invite those who believe that this wasn't uh, about race to realize, oh, this is about race. And so I'm excited about that. I'm excited that there are people who are for the first time feeling great discomfort. Um, And I'm talking about specifically white people who are feeling great discomfort as they realize that perhaps, perhaps it's as bad as they say, perhaps it's, um, it's, it's terrible perhaps. And now what do I do with that? Um, So I was all kind of all over the place there to reiterate It is not, uh, riots and protests are not the same thing. To reiterate, you need to research and learn theologically our our history and our background and why protesting has been part of it, whether you're conservative or liberal. And I believe that people are being invited to a very difficult conversation. And I'm always thinking, how do we create a space for that conversation to happen? Yeah. I think you said one word in there, uh, maybe a couple different times, nuance. I think that's a, that's a key word to take away. Um, and I think, uh, Daniel, one of the things you always say too is define, let's define terms. And so um, we are naturally predisposed, um, probably more so as Americans, to, to think in binary terms. Um, it's either this or it's this, and there's no in between. Um, and, and, um, and I think when we post an article on our social media you know, page, whatever that might be, it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, uh, we'll, we'll cite one article, just one, to make an argument for an overarching narrative that we're wanting to support or, uh, or perpetuate, whatever that might be, good or bad. Um, or we'll cite one uh, individual in history uh, in terms of how that particular person, I'm uh, not trying to speak in code, but Martin Luther King will, will, will cite him as the one individual black person um, who, who set the tone for how all things should be. And so um, it's just been interesting to see what sources we cite. And I shouldn't say sources, I should say source, because we usually just go to one article or one person or one um, 
aspect and then make that the overarching narrative for what we believe and what we want to propose. So here's the thing. I, I say all of that to say, um, should I answer this question as a Christian? Should I answer this question as an American? Should I answer this question as a white man? Should I answer this question as a pastor? So like, there's all these layer, layers to it. And I think, um, you know, if I look at the, the riots or the protests or the looting or the demonstrations or the rallies um, as all one, uh, it's hard because I don't know, um, I don't necessarily expect a non-Christian to adhere to a certain moral standard that they don't believe in. Um, so, so let's take that layer away. If it's for people of faith, people who are followers of Jesus, then, then I feel like I can enter into that conversation a little bit easier. Um, and then I also want to be humbled by this question. Um, how else should one respond to systemic oppression and marginalization and dehumanization for 400 years? How, how, how should one respond? What's the best way um, to get their voice heard? What's the, what's the most um, God-honoring way uh, to, to move the conversation forward in a way that looks like Jesus? Um, I have never had to protest um, to convince somebody that my life mattered. So I don't know what that's like. I've never had to convince somebody um, that I was worthy of something, um, worthy of equal pay, worthy of a job, worthy of a home, a home loan, <laughs> worthy of, you fill in the blank. I've never had to do that. So I... Uh, I am very hesitant to even enter into the conversation about what I feel should or should not take place in terms of expressing my uh, anger, sadness, lament towards something that, uh, that I've never had to experience. And so what I have to do is have the humility to listen to the voices of the people who have been on the receiving end of systemic, and that's a key word, systemic oppression and injustice, and, um, and kind of shut my mouth at that point and not make my own determination of what should or shouldn't be. Um, and so as a follower of Jesus, I think, um, I, don't, I don't believe that Christians are, are to be passive or to be silent. Um, and so I don't think that that's a solid reason to not protest. Um, yeah, so I, I need to listen more. I need to be humble. I need to be, um, in solidarity, uh, with those who have actually experienced the things that they've experienced. Um, there's more I could say, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop for now and we'll keep the conversation going. Yeah. Um, well, one, I think one thing that comes to mind for that question you asked, Jared, is what is the best way to react to this? Um, and and the, the realist in me and the, the equitable part of me, so the way my brain works sometimes is I try to 
remove incongruencies. Um, so like for instance, I, as a pastor um, that I respect his, um, I used to respect him, uh, but even today his sermon was more about the fact that police officers are heroes um, and that um, and that they're only trying to keep peace and that the murder of just one man, one man shouldn't trump uh, the great work that the police does. And that's, that seems incongruent to me. Um, it also seems incongruent to me when we ask that question, if we do ask that question sincerely, how should one protest? So then instantly I asked the question, well, Colin Kaepernick, Kaepernick just kneeled and that was an uproar. No, he shouldn't disrespect the flag. Um, name, name the people, Medgar Evans, Martin Luther King, whoever else you want to name, they peacefully protested and, and were murdered. Um, so then I'm asking the question, what options do you have to protest? If you can't protest peacefully um, to the point where people are, um, uh, people are, the cops are being militarized against you, um, who already see you as an enemy of the state, it's an, it's an interesting question that I'm not necessarily going to remove the pressure of right now and nor and am I going to try to answer it. But I do want people to think about that is a man takes a knee, you say he can't kneel in protest. Kneeling is actually a very humble thing. Uh, it actually shows reverence in many cultures, mine included. You can't peacefully protest. You can't... Um, uh, do a sort of um, um, peaceful, uh, yeah, peaceful protest. You can't do a um, a, a nonviolent. There you go. But as Dr. King always likes to say, a nonviolent approach to things. Um, that's not sufficient. You can't do a by any means necessary Malcolm X. That's not that's not good. So where do you find yourself? It sounds like America is asking people of color to just shut up and take it. That, that's what it feels like. So people can resolve that in their own hearts for themselves. But as I look at the protest, um, I find certain things that are very interesting. For instance, the majority of people that are non people of color have said this death of, even the people who at least say that this was murder, right? So I'm with you, Nathan, the majority of people I've, contacted have said that I have relationship with at least that are white have said this is murder even if they sort of have need help in fleshing out the rest of that have, have at least agreed on that and I think that's the difference right so it's hard even though people try to make the they try to sort of move the mark by saying well maybe if you didn't resist or maybe you know they'll try to like you said is what comes next there are many people though online of who I attend church with even that are like nah it ain't murder it's just one insignificant thing. That's strange. And I don't know how, what to do with that one. Uh, but then I hear this refrain of the death of Floyd is horrible, but the riot has to stop. Mm -hmm. Why don't you flip that? Why don't you flip that by saying rioting is horrible, but the death of unarmed black men in America has to stop. That for me is the shift. Yeah. Then we can really have a conversation because you're right. As a as a white male and as a white woman, you've most likely, at least in recent years, have not had to convince someone that your 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 that your life is sacred, that your life is important, that your life actually matters. 
Um, and I'm loving the 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 the, 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 the plethora of information that's coming out with people that are not of color easily saying, well, if there's two houses and one house is on fire and I tell you, I need to put out my house and you're like, well, all houses matter. How does that make sense? Or if I have leukemia and I say, man, I need to do, I need to create a fund for leukemia and a charity for leukemia. You're like, well, all cancers matter. No one does that because you understand that by saying that you illegitimize that person's pain and plight. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. I say all that to say, when I look at the riot, I also have to wear it in different hats, Jared. And the first hat that I look at it, well, one of the hats I look at it through is just humanity. You know, there's an old saying in the black community, a hit dog will holler. I don't know if it's just the black community, but I've heard it in other Southern states too. But a hit dog will holler. In, in other words, or the squeaky wheel gets the, uh, the most grease. All those sort of euphemisms are, are meant to remind us that uh, we need to ask a question that if a child is throwing a tantrum, and I'm not equating black people to children, but I'm saying if a child is throwing a tantrum or if something happens, so from a mental health perspective, if I see a triggered person, I'm asking the question, why are they triggered? That's, that's what you do. You, you, ask, you should ask that question, why are they triggered? And that leads you into other ways. So that's the mental health perspective. I want to know what the cause of this is because not only do I want to stop the triggering, uh, I, immediately, I also want to create an atmosphere where that triggering is less to happen again. So that's what I would do. From a spiritual perspective, I'm asking who hurt them? How has the fall of humanity affected this discussion? What is the, what is the transgression and, and how am I going to be the Good Samaritan? Notice what you don't see in the Good Samaritan discussion is, let's wait for all the facts, as one of my mentees said. That's a recurring theme whenever anything happens. It's like, let's wait for all the facts before we even help. But the Good Samaritan didn't say, let me wait. I don't know. Was he, was he trying to rob somebody? And then they shot him. And then that's what happened. Did he resist the, the Jerusalem police at the time? And is that, is that what happened? They're not having that conversation from a Christian-centric perspective, a biblical perspective. Someone's hurting, and I, I want to know how to care for them because I am my brother's keeper, and my brother is my neighbor, and I love my brother. That's the Christian perspective. And it's so, so, so I, I see that, and I see so there's a humanity, mental health perspective, and then there's the Christian perspective. And I don't know that they're even that far apart. Right, because Christianity isn't necessarily preaching something that innately in us that we don't all agree with. We all know that it's wrong for someone to kill me. We all innately have that feeling that I don't want to die. There's something in the human being that cries out and say, I don't want to die, or I don't want to be hurt, or I don't want to be oppressed. I think that is just heightened as a Christian because then the image of God comes into play. And so it's even more than just harming humanity. It's, it's not just the sacredness of the human life. It's now the, 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 the holiness of a sovereign God who will make all things right yeah. now or in the life to come. Yeah. So I don't know if you necessarily have to shift as a Christian, right? Because it, it shouldn't be hard. It's easier for us. It should be. But then what have we learned in history? that we who should have been easier to love people are the ones who actually use the same word of God to harm people. So that, that's, that's sort of a, a, a big picture uh, place that I look at it. Uh, but I'm just, I'm just interested because a nuance has happened 
Mm-hmm. And then we'll move on to our other questions. But a nuance has happened in the sense that there has been more traction in my lifetime since the death of Floyd than in any other circumstance that I've experienced, mm-hmm. whether it be Rodney King, whether it be the Watts riots, the H Street riots in D.C., or, or perhaps even the Detroit riots, people who know can share on that. Um, even, even riots that I've seen in other countries, this has become a global thing. There is protesting in Palestine for black people. Palestine. There's protesting in Nigeria for black people. Ethiopia, Italy, Ethiopia, all these places in UK. So this looks different and this feels different. And there is a glimpse of hope, but it cannot, I cannot personally have a conversation with someone that wants to essentially show me a different shiny object while I'm talking to you about the sanctity of a human life. So. Yeah, yeah I think uh, some of the quotes, I think from the articles that I shared from DA Horton and Ed Stetzer, I, I encourage you guys, they, they go into it. Um, I have two thoughts about it, but again, I, I said part of it. Here's the challenge. You can simultaneously speak out against systemic racism and looting and violence, but evangelicals sometimes struggle with the former, but demand the latter. Mm. Followers of Jesus must do both. And the idea that like when you when you when you shift focus to um, the the riots and the looting, you're trying you're 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 only getting half of it. You're only getting a, a part of it. You're not, you're not, and it's probably not, it, I think it's not the most important part of it. The important part of it is the life and the moving um, forward. And it, it's interesting t- to me that I see that very, very commonly is, is, well, let's, let's, well, pff, you're, why are you looting? Why are you setting things on fire? And as if their response to their lives being lost, being, uh, being, um, illogical to the person making that claim, right? That, well, it, it, if you don't, if you don't want this to happen, stop looting, stop firing. But, but you're that's as if you're talking to someone who has had the privilege of feeling safe their whole life, <laughs> but they don't. Right. And so it's like, well, why are you trying to use logical arguments to what is clearly illogical about the way that we are treating um, black people? And so I challenge you to read it. I think one other thing I'll, I'll say as well, um, they do a really, really good job of laying it out. And what I find when I talk to people who are genuinely like, I'm not, I'm not racist, but I have a problem with what the undertones are of the black lives matter movement. Because I think there's two things. There are people who say black lives matter and what they mean when they say black lives matter is exactly that black lives matter. Um, and then other people are like, but that's a movement and, and there's a movement and there's an organization to it. And if we say black lives matter, we're agreeing with all of the, the claims. And I just want to read them for you here. And then I want to tell you about what InterVarsity press has done since 2015. And I think what, um, I'll tell it real quickly. Um, but the problem with black lives matters is it's not just about, um, uh, and this is what people point to. And here's why I want to say this, not to say, hey, don't, don't, don't say Black Lives Matter or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm trying to address the people who are like, look, Black Lives Matter stands for other things as an organization by how it was founded years ago. And so I won't support it now because of that. And um, if you go into the article, it breaks down the reasons why there are issues that are there. 
Um, but but what it comes down to is this. Uh, InterVarsity Press and Ed Stetzer calls us to be co-belligerents. Not compadres, not co-laborers, but co-belligerents. And what they mean by that is simply we believe that what the movement of Black Lives Matters is trying to do and how they're trying to bring lo love and respect and to heal is, is good. And it matters enough to the gospel that we will stand with them. It doesn't mean we agree with everything that they're doing. It doesn't mean that we agree with some of the background and how they got, it doesn't matter because lives matter more than anything else. We're going to be co-belligerents. And so I just threw a bunch of stuff in there and I'm hoping I'm speaking specifically, um, Daniel and, and Jared to those who are struggling right now to, to, uh, and, and are focusing on, but you don't know what that, that, that organization's trying to do. And again, it's almost like, no, no, you're, you're focusing on something. You're focusing on looting. You're focusing on rioting. You're focusing on, on the fear of what might happen behind these organizations. You're focusing on all that. And the reality is what you need to focus on is that people are dying. People it are happened. dying. And happen. You know, that their blood is screaming from the ground for justice. And we're worried about what might happen that's not honoring God in the future. And that's, that's valid and that's good. And that's why people are going after it at InterVarsity. And Ed Stetzer are saying, okay, here's the thing. And D.A. Horton, they're saying, like, we need, to, we need to have nuance to this. We need to use wisdom. We need to be clear about what we're saying and what we're not saying. We need to maintain purity of the church and not get sucked into some of the things like, that aren't great about the original movement as opposed to the hashtag. Because I think there's a nuance. Some people aren't thinking about the original movement what it's still saying today they're just saying black lives matter because they do and they're hurting and there's a nuance to it i encourage you to read the article and i don't think we have time to flesh it out here unless we want to um but man i i'm really resonating with the idea that as christians we are if we were to walk up to a person on the side of the road who happened to be black and they're beat up and hurting we might start thinking, what did they do to get here? Yep. Instead of just going, you're in pain. Yep. I'm going to pay for you. I'm going to pay. And I'm not even going to ask questions because you're unconscious and you can't even answer. Like I, it's, it takes so much maturity and so much humility. Um, and I'm I don't just, know, Nathan, I'm let me, let me, you say that. Back. And I, I know what you mean. That it takes a it takes that I and I and I'm not intending to disagree with you just for the point of disagreeing with you, but does it really take that, or does it just take being a human? Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? Like the bar is not that high. The bar the bar is just a life is gone, mm. lives are gone. Can yeah. we can we mourn that? That's the shortest bar. Like Jared mm. writes a post this week about just. The mere basic standard is life. Like just life. We yeah. started this. So 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 thirty days ago was probably around when we did when we first all heard about Ahmaud Aubrey. Our list of families to pray for of people who've been killed via the police and murdered was like three people that week. Yeah. We're at thirteen right now. Do you understand that? Like I was talking to my brother last night. My brother works um, uh, as a consultant for the White House and for the defense. He's a doctor. And we were talking last night. I was like, you know, 
at that rate, we're on the endangered, we should be on the endangered species list. Then he goes further and we start having conversation about the health part of it too. The disproportionate death of blacks uh, because of the, the economy and the way we've been condensed into, uh, you know, what people like to refer to as ghettos and, 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 you know, all the stuff, all the systemic issues. And I look at it and I'm like, we are at 13 names just for murder in the last 30, day, 30 days. That doesn't include the COVID deaths and the deaths because of, you know, public policies that ostracize people. But that's 13 people that we know of because it's still coming out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. yeah. 13 people murdered through the police can you just pause there for a second as a human and say that's a problem yeah and let me tell you why the dog of uh the dog of um you know black lives matter has one part of it that's you know bad or parts of it that you don't agree with so therefore i i'll, I'll ignore it you know why that dog doesn't hunt because by that same logic no african-american should be a christian by that same logic that there's bar bad parts in it and parts that are negative in Black Lives Matter movement, so therefore I'll jettison the entire concept. By that same logic, looking at the history of American church and what it's done to black people, by that same logic, no African American should say they support Christianity, at least in the American faith. Uh, and you're saying because Christianity has, has been complicit and not just complicit. Let's expand what that means. Yeah, has 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 actively used the Bible and Christianity to subjugate a group of people claiming divine authority to do so because to them, Christ, black men and women were descendants of Canaan, which is a theology that's all wrong by itself. Right. Because blacks what you're are more, yeah. you see what I'm saying? Blacks are yeah. more descendants of Cush than they are Canaan. But at the end of the day, you you use a entire religious system to make a people feel like not only were they uh, ordained and made by God for slavery and subjugation, but that this was their lot in life for all eternity. By that same logic that there's certain things that were incorrectly done in, in, in Black Lives Matter, that same logic, if you apply that to anything else, there's a lot of things that people of color, or even you as a Christian, should never do. Like, for instance, they're, they're, and I don't want to say the name because it's going to be careful, but you can ping me later, um, but there, there, there are organizations who promote pornography, who pay for it, who, who, who promote uh, 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 trafficking, uh, and all these other things that are detrimental to people, but you buy things from them and you support them because at some point, sometimes that's the only uh, show in town. But if you apply that logic, this is back right. to the congruency thing. Right. If you apply that logic to anything else, to American Christianity, even specifically just American Christianity, not Christ, but American Christianity, then you would not be a member of any American church. Yeah, I think the one distinction I would, I would, I agree, and it took me a while to understand what you were saying, but saying like being a part of an organization that has flaws and they rejecting the entire organization because of those flaws. Because of those flaws, exactly. Is what we're saying, Black Lives Matter has flaws. Yes. We're going to reject all of it because of it has flaws. Yes. Well, in that same logic to the church, which yeah. even says scripturally that we're messed up, yeah. um, it would be illogical. 
then put on top of the fact that the church has, in fact, not valued the lives of black people and it becomes even worse. So I I think I'm there with you. The difference I would say, and, and someone who might push back a little bit is that the Black Lives Matters movement is not founded on scripture and on the Bible or in God. And that is absolutely true. It is not. Sure, and it stands sure. for things that this church doesn't stand absolutely. for. Absolutely. And, and so, so the idea is we do have to move forward. The problem is we haven't been doing anything. Mm-hmm. And so, so since we haven't been organizing and doing our own thing, that's the call for us now. Yeah. Do our own thing and move forward and become co-belligerence in yeah. the part that we agree on, which is that the lives of black people matter and the lives of black people are disproportionately affected right now. Let's just call it that. That's like the easiest, the smallest, the littlest. It's disproportionate. Three times the amount, you know, yeah, that black people, three times the amount of black people are dying of COVID. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to talk, I mean, I don't want to open up a whole nother can of worms, but yeah. my point is at three times the rate black people are, are dying than white people. And it's not because there's, it, it's because there is systemic issues. That's why. So if their lives matter and then let's, and then people are unjustly being killed, which that's a whole nother conversation about killing someone justly, but like, you know, like we need to focus on the fact that people are dying and not assuage our guilt by finding reasons why they should be dead. If what happened to George Floyd happened to your child, how would you feel? And it keeps happening to people like you. How would you feel? That's all. Yeah. I might lose I, my mind. I had an interesting um, Sorry, observance. Sorry, we talked a lot. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, a guy that I had the honor of getting to meet just briefly, his name's Kevin Farmer. He's a pastor um, in a church in that neighborhood, uh, roughly around that neighborhood. And his name's Kevin Farmer. Uh, did I already say that? Well, yes. I said it again. Kevin Farmer. Uh, <laughs> go, <laughs> go look for him on Facebook, actually, um, because he, he posts some interesting things. Um, he is a black man as well. And, um, and his church actually helped with some of the cleanup after the looting and rioting and stuff. And, and people wanted to hear his perspective and get his thoughts. And, um, one of the things that, and I'm going to paraphrase very loosely, but, um, he decided to speak out on the justice system because people were saying, well, we have a broken system. We have a broken system. And, and he said, um, specifically a broken justice system. And one of the things that he said that, that caught my attention was, no, actually the system works just fine. Uh, see, the system was created for a specific people in mind. Um, it was created uh, to actually uh, put people of color, specifically black people um, and Native Americans, you could, you could argue um, earlier in, in history, uh, but the justice system wasn't actually built for them. It was built to keep them out. And so when you make an expectation and you make an argument that says, well, I'm frustrated by the looting. I'm frustrated by the protest. I'm frustrated by, you know, whatever might be taking place um, and what people of color are doing to their own community. Uh, The argument then is, why would we expect them to abide by a justice system that doesn't actually work for them and actually didn't consider them in the first place at all? Um, and so I think, and that that's uh, in the same vein as the question that you asked Daniel too, is like, why are they being triggered? Let's ask that question. What, why are people frustrated? Um, and I, 
I wanted to read this too, because somebody else posted this, which I thought was, was helpful. Just, just to get in the mindset of where one might feel or why one might feel the way they feel. And uh, this is from, depending on how you pronounce it, Habakkuk or Habakkuk. What are your votes? I go with Havakuk, which oh, is- Oh, wow, evil. okay. That's There's where a, I go. The third <laughs> way. Joking. That's the third way. There That's good. There is a third way. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Habakkuk. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. I'll just read four, three verses here. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. I don't really have anything to say after that. It's just a, I want to, I want to feel what the prophet is feeling. And I want the Holy Spirit to fill me, continue filming, filling me um, to understand, okay, what is my place? How do I enter into the Good Samaritan and not, not try to figure out all the facts, not try to figure out, okay, well, what, what's the real reason? No, how do I, how do I feel what they feel? And how do I come alongside and enact justice? in the way that Jesus would. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's super relevant. And this is, you know, as we even one of the questions that's going to come up um, is about just the black church and white church scenario and why that is. And that is in so many ways, why some that what gave birth to black liberation theology, the old Testament, um, affiliation that black people felt with Israel and their slavery and their cry out for justice. Um, yeah. What, what Mr. Farmer said is actually akin to what um, W.B. Du Bois said um, yeah. many, many years ago, which is a system cannot fail those. It was never meant to protect. Right. Yeah. It just can't. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, we're moving more and more into an era where it's hard to say you don't know as a Caucasian person because there's so much information. And I'm super thankful for my, my white brothers and sisters who have had the privilege um, to wade in this with us. And they've done it well by, by doing their own research and even now are beginning to be proactive and not reactive to many things and posting things that are open in people's eyes because you have an influence that I may never have because you're in these circles that are more disarmed because they're family, they're relatives, they're best friends, and you can really get into the heart of folks and talk to people. And so don't, please, thank you for your partnership. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you. Honestly, thank you for seeing the truth. Thank you for being Christians. Thank you for being godly. Thank you for being human. Uh, and thank you for sharing that humanity with other people, because at the end of the day, um, this movement or whatever this is, um, look, look, it, at the end of the day, if you choose, because you can, because it's your privilege, you have that right to not talk about race and never even discuss it. If you choose to not take what you've learned and share it with other people, 
we're going to find ourselves in another George Floyd situation tomorrow. In fact, the same day George Floyd was murdered, another black man was murdered as well, Dion Johnson, because he was sleeping in his car and a trooper shot him because he was afraid that he might wake up and shoot him, even though he had no gun. So, so, so when you start to see these things as not just one isolated incident, um, I think it's helpful to share with other people how this is not an isolated incident and maybe have the dialogue that others of us cannot have. But um, we, yeah, I, I cry for justice and justice. And I want to say this because as an African-American, I, I need this to be clear. There is no African-American, none whatsoever. Uh, there are criminals in every, in every ethnicity and there are, there are problematic people in every ethnicity. But there's no African-American who cares about his people that is happy that a riot is ensuing. Because that's our basic question that we've been asking. So I'm not happy about a riot, just so we're clear. But I also know that um, sometimes, and I want to say this too, you know, Nathan alluded to this earlier too, is not only, because sometimes people could think that riots are just black people doing riots or the black people are acting that. There are, there has numerous videos of people who are Caucasian who are maybe cops that's, you know, it's still out there trying to figure that out, but that's not new for us as black people. The history of people being infiltrated, infiltrating our communities to start problems and give reasons for the military to come in. That's just, I want to put that out there. But, but you, there are a lot of people who are stopping the riots. There are a lot of people who are the ones saying, no, let's not do this, or uh, who are actually pointing out the people who are not in their community, who are coming into their community to use this as an opportunity to further their uh, own agendas. So I, I, I want us to just, as much as we can, to be as objective as, as you can. And I think the overall thing is this, at the end of the day, let's just talk about the life. Right. So so Black Lives Matter wasn't built on Christian principles in a sense, but in a sense it is right. It's built on the fact that at least that part of it is built on the fact that human life is sacred. Right. Who how is that not a Christian principle? Right. Uh, because you have the KKK that was. Just blatantly supposedly a Christian organization. Right. And many Christians join that. So let, let's 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 be congruent in how we look at facts as much as we can. So that, that's all I'll say on that. Yeah. I, I, one thing I'll say is there's a, a, a worry, a worry uh, among not just one or two, but people that I talk to. And, and it's not just people who aren't in our church, but in our church, people who love Jesus deeply, who are in different stages in this process of figuring it out. And they're looking for all the reasons why we don't do something, but we've already done a lot of not, not a lot of nothing. <laughs> um, and I want people to know that as we continue to lead through this, I am incredibly um, uh, aware. I, I, I'm vigilant is a good word. I'm very vigilant right now about this conversation. I constantly think about it because what I want is I want to create an environment where we stand for truth in a way that invites conversation and that as we move forward, we do not allow um, the, the world to, to, to influence us in a way in doing something that is, is unbiblical. Here's the problem. We already have. Mm. 
And so we're trying to correct that, the systemic things that are in our organization that are at the minimum pr uh, prejudice and, and, and worse. They were already trying to correct that. And in the process, you're saying, but what we could add more bad things, but that, yeah, I know, but we have to move forward. We have to figure it out. So, and what I mean by that is like subtle things may get into this organization that may cause it someday to go down the wrong path. That's the fear. And that's a good fear. And we need to be wise and we need to lead well. That's why we look to people who are, are looking at these things and saying, hey, if you're, if you're going to become co-belligerents with these kinds of communities, you better know these things. You better watch these things. You better not affirm these things. Those are, we're going to do all that. But, but the, again, we're focusing on what could be bad. And the reality is there is something already bad that needs to be cut out. You know, I, 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 I just want people to know that it's not something where it's all or, all or nothing for me. I'm, I'm really tired of this conversation. I talk a little bit in the message this weekend about it, but I'm tired of people trying to figure out if we're a liberal or conservative church. Like it's spending energy and time trying to figure that out and trying to figure out, well, if they're a liberal church or too liberal of a church, I'm going to leave. Or if they're too conservative of a church, I'm going to leave. Like what is God trying to do in our world? And how are we going to be part of it? That should be what we should be talking about. And what God is trying to do in our world right now is he is trying to bring out the Imago Dei in people. And he is trying to, uh, to value and love people and bring them to him. And we have a place in that. So it's nuanced. It's hard. It's difficult. Um, but I want you to know that the three of us, our executive team, our leadership team there, we're just we're wrestling with this. Um, but it's clear to me we can't we can't continue to allow our brothers and sisters to die and be treated as less than the image bearers of God anymore. And that's going to take repentance and hard conversation, and it's going to cost us. And I feel like every time I talk about this, I never say it right, and I can't figure out how to communicate it right. And I'm and I know that people are trying to communicate, and you feel that way too. So I just want to let you know that it's okay. We're going to figure it out together as we move forward. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, that was good. Yeah, super good. Um, well, Jared, you have a question. I don't know. Do we have enough time? How's our timing? It's um, kind, of, kind of related. We have, we have five minutes. <laughs> is that a five-minute answer for you, brother? Or is oh, that... man. Um, I, I could, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Here we go. Okay. The question is... For those Christians suffering PS, uh, PTSD, what does the Bible say that could help them overcome the huge struggle to get out of their safe shelters and get in, I think she means shelter in place, and get in strong and courageous mode with God's will of living? Um, so again, trying to interpret the, the question, but I think um, for those that have been in shelter in place and those that are experiencing, I'm, I'm assuming some mental health um, concerns and PTSD that has happened um, as a result of whatever, you know, job loss, um, sickness, maybe the loss of a loved one. Uh, there's this trauma probably that comes with that. The, for some reason, the, the reason, um, one thing that comes to my mind when I, when I read that question is, is the story of the demoniac um, in, in the Gerasenes or the in Gentile territory and Jesus goes, you know, he crosses the lake and he, um, he encounters this individual uh, who's demon possessed and uh, by multiple demons. And then the demons are taken out and uh, put into pigs. And then the whole community comes out 
and they're super frustrated actually with Jesus. They're not, they're not actually happy about this moment. And then he wants to follow Jesus. He wants to go and be with him, cross the other side of the lake, follow him in his ministry. But Jesus says something unique. Um, he says, no, you need to stay. You need to stay here. And um, the reason I bring that up is because um, one thing that I think is maybe not as much talked about is that portion of scripture where Jesus tells him to stay with his community. And, and then I think we hear later on that actually that that person has an impact on the surrounding community. They end up telling uh, the surrounding area uh, more about Jesus, at, at least that we can assume based on how the story unfolds. And I think one of the things that I like to talk about a lot is how important the community is in terms of our faith, that we are not alone, that this is not an individualistic faith, um, that we have to surround ourselves by community. And part of me can't help but wonder when Jesus tells this man to stay with his community, um, is that they're going to have to work out this mess. So this guy has been for years terrorizing his village, terrorizing his community, and now they have to be re reconciled uh, in every sense of that term. And they have to figure out now how to embrace this man into their community now that he is in his right mind and sane. And um, I should say, and sane. I don't mean to say insane. Those are two separate things. Um, and so now he's coming out of a horrific many years of, we could say, PTSD. And now he's having to be re reconciled with, with his community. And so all that to say... Um, there's multiple angles to this and there's multiple things to be said about this. But one thing I want to make sure is clear is that for those who are experiencing some PTSD right now um, and coming out of the shelter in place is to make sure to find a way to surround yourself in holy, loving, mature, faithful community uh, to embrace you and to walk that journey together in community, to not try to do it alone. And then that might also mean um, with, with the aid of a, of a counselor, of a therapist, of um, a mental health professional that can, that can help support. So um, that's the short five minute version. If you guys have anything to add. And we yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is um, shortly is um, when, when I'm teaching uh, mental health first aid, one of the things that we, give people is an acronym called ALGI, um, mm. which is to help you sort of navigate uh, a mental health crisis. And the A is for assessing uh, for risk of suicidal harm. And then L is listen non-judgmentally. Uh, G is to give reassurance and information. Um, and then E, the first E is to encourage appropriate professional help. And then the last one is to encourage self-help and other support strategies. Now, when you look at all that together, that is best done in the context of community. Yeah. Right? Because how do you know if someone is acting abnormal, quote unquote, if you don't know what they are normally, right? If you don't have a close relationship with someone, and how can you even have enough equity to encourage someone to go get help uh, and to follow up with them if you're not in community? So. Yeah, community is important to actually all of the issues we've discussed today, whether it's PTSD because of race or injustice or PTSD because of mental uh, in, uh, chemical imbalances, whatever it is, community is very key. And community shows up, especially importantly, when you are in crisis. Uh, but it's because they've been there before mm. the crisis started. So I, I think that's important. So yeah, yeah. those all work together. Right, Reverend Nathan, you got anything to say? 
I've said a lot. <laughs> I think for me, I just encourage people that this is a place between the three of us, but also for this church that we can, we can wrestle through that. That's what be the bridge is about. That's what um, our conversations need to be about that. We um, dive into these conversations and we don't give up. And we realize that the unity of our body is more important than our per- personal preference or, um, and this is not just preference. There's deep, deep beliefs and that we have to keep growing up and learning and then it's only um, it's only God who can keep us united. But but if we become united, not just on this issue, which this one is of utmost importance um, right now and will be, but on many issues. And we're so excited about having people who look, think, and act just like us. But the body of Christ is varied and it's beautiful. And he calls us to be part of it. So I just encourage uh, my black brothers and sisters to keep holding on and pushing in and, and reaching out. And we will reach out as, and to love and to stand with you. And for our, our white brothers and sisters uh, and everybody, because you know, there's, there's ranges to this, um, that are struggling or trying to figure it out or are tired or don't want or feel threatened, keep pushing in. Keep pushing in. Um, because there's something beautiful on the other end, um, something gorgeous and something that the world will see and go, wow, that there's only the power of God that can do that. So I just encourage people, hold on, keep moving, don't give up, and pray and seek God, and he'll help you in the midst of it. Amen to that, brother. Well, great, great time as usual. Um, these are heavy topics that we, as much as we can, are trying to handle with care. Um, and, and I hope we've done that. Uh, and in areas that we may not, we, we're learning together, like you said, Nathan. I think that's super great. Um, so, yeah, next week we are going to have uh, a special guest that I'm super excited um, to uh, have. And so, um, yeah, do your Googles about that and see if, <laughs> see if you know who it is. And you'll get a special gift of hearing us again the next Thursday. Um, so, so we're happy. Uh, we're happy to have this venue to connect with you guys. also want to remind you uh, of the six-week course that uh, Book Study of Color Compromise that uh, our sisters Laura Garvey uh, and Lindsay Hufford are putting together. This is specifically geared towards uh, uh, our Caucasian brothers and sisters. So if you've been looking for an opportunity to ask the questions and you don't want to uh, either come across offensive, I get that, I understand that. This is a great venue for you um to inundate them no i'm joking too but to ask those <laughs> questions and and honestly it's also helpful because you get to see someone who uh has a similar culture to you and how they've grown in that area and that might give you a peace of mind because sometimes folks i know to our brothers and sisters who are not of color that it could get a little you could feel paralyzed you could it could be like double dutch you don't know where to jump in and you, you're scared of you know I get it, and I can understand it as much as I can. Um, or you and don't I know just, what double dutch is. Yeah, or you, or you don't know what double dutch is. That's a, it's actually true too. Uh, but you Sorry. could feel like this is true. You could feel like it's hard to just know where to get in and know where to fit in on this stuff. But uh, the key uh, thing to remember is you belong in this conversation, and we want mm. you in this conversation. Yeah. And there's a very wise way to have it is among the context of people who know what you're feeling. Um, and so this is a great opportunity. Again, go to be uh, email be the bridge 
at lifechurchcanton.org and they will circle back with you. Great opportunity for you to grow, learn, and just know if, even if you feel like I figured it out, I don't really believe in this stuff, be intellectually honest to ask the right questions and then know that you know that you know. And you stay where, you know, where you you can make a decision after that, but it's a great opportunity, great position. Uh, Also, um, well, church, you know, this this Sunday we're gonna be having prayer service. It's gonna be exciting. Um, Anything quickly and then we'll just end out. On that one, good? Okay. I'm excited about it. It's gonna be good. Cool, sweet. Is there still room at the 8 p.m.? Yes, there is. There's there's still room at the 8 p.m. So there's room in the end for you. So Mm. come on down. All right. Well, that's it, folks. Uh, We love you guys. We will see you next week, God willing. Um, And uh, yeah, amen. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Uh, These are hard conversations to have, but we want to keep inviting you back to be part of this. And uh, with that, have a great week. We'll see you again for Table Talk Thursday.